Food and Beverage Magazine Live, bringing food and beverage to life with your hosts, James Beard Award winner Jennifer English and Food and Beverage Magazine publisher Michael Politz. Featuring leaders in the hospitality, branded food and beverage, and CPG industries, many of whom are Jennifer and Michael's friends in the business. For an informal and informative conversation where friends in the business share the latest intel, ideas, and best practices. Live, juicy inside scoop from the tastemakers, newsmakers, bread bakers, drink shakers, spoon lickers, clam diggers, farms, foodies, and friends of the food and beverage magazine world. Here are your hosts, Jennifer English and Michael Politz. And hello, Jennifer English. How are you? Hello, Michael Politz. Welcome to F&B Magazine Live. You mean food and beverage brought to life? Live, juicy inside scoop from the tastemakers, newsmakers, bread bakers, drink shakers, spoon lickers, clam diggers, farmers, foodies, and friends of the food and beverage magazine, Xena World. Is that what you're saying? It is. And today we have scientists on the cutting edge of fighting viruses that are the future of our world. Ooh, that sounds scary. And we're going to have a chicken sandwich. Chicken sandwich? I know, like a great chicken sandwich. We talked about chicken sandwiches yesterday and it got me thinking, craving. My appetite was whetted. But you know, the reality is as restaurateurs all over the country are debating the merits of opening or closing for in-house service, for grocery stores that have been open and need to change, for businesses and other enterprises that are contemplating going, quote unquote, back or back to normal or back to the new normal. We're all searching for information to make a great decision, a good decision, a healthy decision, because everybody has the same concerns that we all care about our families, our friends, and our customers, and our employees. The health and safety and wellness of everyone is paramount. So how do you know what to do, and how do you know where to turn? Well, historically, thank goodness we've had people like Dr. Fauci and even Governor Cuomo. We turn to the scientists at the CDC, and if you're lucky enough to have a scientist or a doctor in your family, then you've gotten the inside scoop, and they've told you just how scary this is. A pandemic like we've never experienced before, and hopefully we'll never experience again, but all the experts are saying this all may be part of a new normal for us. And so what do we do? Who do we turn to? Where do we go? And what do we ask? How can we all be in this together? if we all don't get the same information. That's one of the things that's most vexing about this situation. And so Michael, every day when we invite our friends in the business to come and hang out with us and give us some answers, and because we're kind of a B2B or a a trade magazine and 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 an industry show, we're doing this for everybody that's in the industry um, to get a sense about what's going on and, and what kind of decisions we can make. And so we had the opportunity, a, a real privilege and honor to have a guest on with us in the first part of the show today, who is the president of Tottenauer USA, which is an organization that is devoted to the world that we're all now just visiting. Guy Lerner and his team live day in and day out in the laboratories with the notion of viruses, understanding full well the scope and importance of this kind of work for just this moment in time. 
in some ways he's been preparing for this his whole career because this is exactly the kind of moment when we all need him and his expertise the most. It is a real privilege and an honor, Michael, to welcome Guy Lerner to the show today. Guy, Thank welcome. You for coming. Thank you for coming on, Guy. Hi, thank you for having me. Listen, I don't want to fumble uh, already on the first play of the game and try and describe the kind of work uh, that you're devoted to. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your company's mission? <clears throat> yes, sure. Uh, Tutanower is a, is a very well-known uh, company in, in the infection control arena. Uh, we are in business for over 90 years. Uh, providing infection control solutions um, in over 100 countries around the world. Um, <clears throat> the company is uh, uh, our headquarter uh, here in the States is based in New York. Uh, the headquarter of the company is based in Israel. Um, and we provide a variety of, of infection control solution uh, to the medical, dental, vet, laboratory, uh, research, uh, uh, universities, et cetera, uh, industries. Uh, starting from sterilization, um, instrument washers, uh, biological indicators, uh, literally any kind of a solution uh, that has to do with infection control. Uh, our main business is uh, sterilizers. We have uh, the largest variety of sterilizers uh, in the world. Wow. How different is this moment in time from the world you were operating in over the last 10 years? Well, it's uh, in, in some cases, uh, it's not nice to say, but it's almost feel like us saying we told you so, uh, because we are living infection control on a daily basis. Uh, we're trying to promote infection control uh, to many uh, physicians, uh, uh, dental offices, etc. Um, again, we are Everything is done based on regu uh, regulatory uh, uh, processes, especially in the U.S. with the FDA. We are, of course, FDA approved, uh, and we are—you uh, know—we're living it on a daily basis. Uh, suddenly, everybody is exposed to uh, uh, such a, a pandemic, and and really, the reality is going to change because people will think about sterilization differently, about infection control differently, about you know when you enter. Uh, we're talking here. We'll talk in a second about the food industry <clears throat> that we are uh, on a you know on a regular base or a regular day. We're not uh, uh, so uh, uh, into the food industry, but uh, even when you go to your nail salon, I mean, people will start asking questions whether the tools were uh, uh, properly sterilized. There are many many uh, technologies out there in the market. Uh, a lot of them are not doing uh, the proper uh, sterilization. And I think, you know, customers will start to ask themselves or get more educated about sterilization before they go into these institutions. Guy, when we're talking about infection, when I hear you describing infection control, infection management, infection abatement and sterilization, when you use the word infection, it sounds like a monolith. But the reality of what we encounter as human beings all over the planet is anything but monolithic. Can you please describe what we are all constantly combating when we use the word infection? Well, again, I, I'm not a scientist. I'm more of a, you know, a businessman. Uh, but uh, I can tell you that the uh, virus, for example, that we're, um, uh, that we're experiencing in this pandemic is not 
a hard one to to destroy or kill. We are doing it. Uh, uh, we're doing with, with much harder ones to uh, uh, that we uh, sterilize equipment on a daily basis. We just need to follow uh, uh, the procedures, and if everything is done proper by the book, uh, it, it's not a hard thing to do. Um, give you an example: the the uh, technology we're using um, is the the basic technology for sterilization. It's based on on steam from water. It's the most uh, precise, accurate, and effective way, and it's the the most uh, user friendly one that we don't use any chemicals we just use water and that's why we can implement it also in the food industry so it's not hard to do we just need to follow the procedures guy can you please uh, do all bugs and bacteria and germs and infection causing things <clears throat> microbes etc do they all get killed around the same temperature or are we dealing with a very wide range of um temperatures to create sterilization? We, uh, the, it's a wide range, but again, going back to my, my answer uh, a, a, a second ago, uh, we take it to uh, uh, around 230 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, uh, and that kills most of it. Uh, we have some uh, uh, other uh, um, cycles, we call them cycles in our sterilizers. So we have other cycles in different uh, uh, temperature, uh, that uh, uh, kills everything. I mean, it, it, when 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 a tool, when if we take if we take the medical or the dental industry, when an instrument goes into our sterilizer, uh, when it comes out of the sterilizer, it's a hundred percent sterilized, and you know it. We kill everything. You know, this is such a fascinating topic, and people that go out to eat, as we all have done regularly and enjoyed doing for the last nearly fifty years as the food awakening that took place in the United States in North America and, and that the rest of the world knew a lot more about, frankly, for a long time. Well, we've caught up. And when we go out to eat, we like to think that everyone is doing everything they can to be as safe as possible. And so there are certain rules that we know in the food business where cold foods need to be colder than 40 degrees Fahrenheit and hot foods need to be kept hot at 140 degrees or more you know, under 40, over 140, that, that, that those ranges are the ranges that we rely on killing those foodborne bacteria. Mm -hmm. But in this moment of pandemic from the coronavirus, COVID-19, we're beginning to learn more than we ever knew before about the nature of fighting bugs and bacteria and, and antimicrobial things, et cetera. So when we look at the food business, how different is it really than the rest of the businesses in which you are practicing and providing gear and equipment and expertise for fighting bugs and germs? How different is the food business than hmm. the other businesses you're in? Well, uh, uh, again, I'm not an expert on the, on the food business, but I can tell you that on our uh, sterilization, we take it, uh, you know, in the, in the, as I mentioned in the cycles, we go up to 273 degrees. Uh, Fahrenheit to kill, uh, you know, almost everything. Um, I, as far as I know, in the food industry itself, uh, they're not sterilizing uh, the food, but they are extremely cautious and extremely, uh, um, you know, taking care of uh, um, uh, bugs or anything that can go into food. So they're not using sterilization. 
obviously sterilization is an extreme uh, way to kill uh, uh, viruses and, and other uh, microbes. So uh, we're using it mainly uh, for um, metal. I mean, the, the, um, the you know, as, as part of this pandemic, one of the things that we uh, uh, started to see, we got some calls uh, from uh, uh, whether it was restaurants or, or other uh, places that serve food and were asking about the ability to sterilize um, utensils, for example. Right. You know, so uh, the idea, uh, I think it has a lot of sense because coming out from of this pandemic, I mean, people will go back to restaurants, uh, you go in, obviously you cannot sterilize everything. Uh, you know, every place is doing whatever they can, um, but still you have people uh, uh, touching the food, serving the food, et cetera, et cetera. But the utensils itself is something very uh, uh, personal, something that you take and put straight to your mouth. And if if something I have, I as a customer would like it to be completely sterilized. So uh, we, go ahead. So, uh, so I'm, I just wanna be clear. So I was gonna ask you, what are some of the things that you've learned in the medical and dental space and the laboratory space that you think might be applicable to the food industry? And what I'm hearing you say is the way that the uh, dental tools uh, come in a package that indicates that they've been sterilized appropriately for each patient and your dentist or hygienist will open that pack and you know you're getting fresh tools. Do you see things like that as being the kinds of things that we can borrow from your world and bring it to our world? Uh, definitely. If, if uh, It's a good point that you raise. I don't know if, if you see this is a typical example of what I'm talking about. Oh, okay, is, great. Is, no, I hadn't seen that. That's exactly what I was thinking. Okay, so this is this is the uh, empty bag. It's a self-sealed uh, bag. Uh, you put the utensils. I'm, I'm, one thing that is important to emphasize: this is not to replace washing the um, um, right. the silverware. I mean, after the wash, very uh, easy. You and you put it into the bag, seal the bag, put it in one of our uh, sterilizer. And uh, the sterilization process takes only half an hour and then some drying time and it's ready to go. Now, bear in mind that as a customer, when I get this, I know that I'm the only person that opens it. Uh, this can this is sterilized. Um, and, and that's a very common uh, question we got. This will be sterilized until you open it. This is a, a, a this is a specific bag that it's a, a, for sterilizers. It lets the steam go in and out sterilize the utensil and it will keep it sterilized until you open the bag. So wow. you know that you're the only person that opens the bag. I don't know about you, Michael, but I am completely like, where can I get one? Well, no, that's why this was such an important, this is such an important conversation, right? <clears throat> when I met Guy and his team last week, I guess, maybe a couple of weeks ago, um, I looked at the website and I'm very familiar with the sterilization because my father being a surgeon and all that, going into his office, he had the autoclave machines and all that stuff. So I'm very familiar growing up with that. Um, and then I'm thinking to myself, this is just a brilliant concept because maybe there's a way, you know, it's not the prettiest thing to get that bag out, but maybe there's a way to brand that. Maybe there's a way they can do something Definitely. to um, enhance, enha enhance the, uh, what do you the the experience, Jennifer? Is that what you would say? Because well, you know it's got to be sterile. That's what sucks about today, right? But I'm although gonna you, I'm going to give you a choice, you're going into a restaurant, one of your favorite. Let's say you go to your favorite restaurant. I'm opening this up to both of you. Would you rather stand on ceremony, a la you know Peggy Post, 
and the Emily Post Institute and having your entire service laid out with your salad fork and your shrimp fork and your entree fork and your dessert fork, and it's all just out. Well, would you rather forego that and have a, a package brought to you where you're guaranteed that your utensils are sterilized? It's not, it's a no-brainer for me. I hate losing the notion of the ritual. And maybe there's a way we can have both where it's ritualistically put in the autoclave packet, but but I'm picking the packet with the clean stuff in it every time. Right. How amazing well, is that? Yeah, in, in my mind, there's no question. And, and uh, from what we talk with customers, customers are even willing to pay some money uh, to cover the cost because they're, I mean, we realize that there is additional cost and the restaurant and the food industry is not in their greatest shape right now. Uh, and to answer your question before, it could be easily uh, be personalized by uh, uh, the restaurant logo or anything we can uh, print on, on the back. Right. Um, Guy, talk a little bit about your life out in the world as a New Yorker in the city that's widely considered the hot spot for this pandemic. How are you, someone who is so expert in this industry, responding to this experience? Will you talk a little bit about your personal experience as a professional in the sterilization business to what you're seeing when you go out in the world? Are we getting it right or are we getting it wrong? Um, well, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I can't judge uh, uh, the decision makers. It's it's very uh, hard decision that they make on a daily basis. I can tell you that I personally, our our uh, office here is is uh, in the middle of Long Island, um, so we are less exposed to uh, uh, you know the the site that you see in the city. Um, here, uh, again, a lot of the people, uh, a lot of our employees uh, work from home right now. Um, Definitely, there's a, a big change in traffic. I mean, New York is known for its uh, daily traffic. The, the you know, the rush hours in the morning are are the roads are almost empty. Um, on the business side, I mean, uh, we we see a decrease in the business because a lot of the uh, um, medical offices, dental offices are are closed. Um, we see uh, so you know most of our customers are are not working. On one hand, on the other hand, we do see uh, some other uh, um, customers that are like research institute that we see a lot of uh, business coming from their side. Um, on a personal uh, um, basis, you know, I, I live nearby in Long Island. All my kids came back from uh, school, uh, so we are at home. Uh, you know, we can go out, etc. But you, I mean, we never. We, we didn't go to a, a restaurant for the last month or so. Right. Uh, you know, the news from New York is horrible. I mean, the numbers are, un, un, you know, unimaginable. It's it's very hard. Uh, the, the bright side of it, we see we have uh, dealers and we have um, um, uh, reps around the country that work with us. And we start to see in the last week or so, uh, that offices, I'm talking medical, dental offices are starting to open. So uh, I do hope we're, you know, going out of it. Guy, I have to tell you, I'm shocked that you're not telling me that you're on three shifts of production to crank out this machinery, that people aren't just knocking down your door, selling out your inventories. 
Uh, I, I, frankly, I'm shocked that you aren't back ordered six months for sterilization equipment. That's one of the things that makes me more nervous in hearing this, because what you do is so essential. Your product is so critically important uh, that that I can't imagine that even home use people aren't calling and saying we want. To. I just want to yeah. understand. Can we ask Guy about the equipment itself? And yeah. I don't want to get into costing, but what the space wise and what a, what a restaurant would need to do. And it may be even something they want to display that they're doing, Jennifer. It may not go back of house, right? It may go into service station area. I would right? want to I mean, see it. What yeah. do they need? Guy, what do they need? They need water into the uh, unit? They, and that's, that's the beauty thing of our, our specific technology is based on water and electricity. So it, it should be done somewhere in the back room or in the kitchen uh, uh, or where they, you know, uh, get ready uh, with, you know, wrapping all the mm -hmm. utensils. Um, uh, the only thing they need is electricity and water, uh, distilled water, um, and um, and that's it. I mean, we have a variety of product. Uh, I would say it depends on the size of the restaurant, but uh, the mid-size, uh, uh, I mean, on the medical side, it's, it's a smaller solution. Uh, they can do up to uh, 50 uh, sets uh, per uh, hour. A larger one can do 150. It really depends on the restaurant and, and you know, how much business they are going to uh uh, to start with, um, when going out of this pandemic, but we can we can accommodate almost uh, any kind of uh, 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 restaurant uh, size. And what's a pro what would a system for a hundred two hundred seat restaurant uh, end up costing the average restaurant, or what kind of expense are we looking at for this kind of security well, infection I, I, control? I don't have, I rather don't share prices right now, but it's not an extreme expense. I want to say that the midsize uh, um, uh, systems will cost in the range of, I want to say, let's say, just for the sake of the uh, discussion, $5,000. Uh, so we're talking return... less than a dollar a restaurant guest. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We're talking yes. less than 25 cents a restaurant guest. And when you put it in the kinds of terms that, that we can... There's just no question that this is something that needs to happen. Guy, uh, I want to take one quick break. And for people who are just joining us, Guy Lerner is president of Tutnauer USA, a global leader of infection control solutions with more than 30 years of experience in the medical industry. Guy has an extensive background in management, business, founding, sales, marketing, and business development. Mr. Lerner served as an executive manager in a few medical device companies, including Home Free Systems, Micromedic, with extensive business and sales experience in both USA and Asia, Europe. And we want to say thank you for, for joining us today. Uh, Mr. Lerner, before we let you go, I want you to put your entrepreneurial hat and your parent hat on for us. What are the things that you can share with all of us? that we can do in our own homes that borrows from the, the mission and philosophy of Tuttenauer with regard to sterilization? Is it even possible for us to sterilize things in our own home? Well, it, it is possible. I mean, uh, we, we do have, if someone wants to, I mean, to be honest, I don't think you need to use a sterilizer at home uh, on most uh, uh, things, but if you do need one, uh, we have small sterilizers uh, that you can buy online. Uh, if you go on Amazon, for example, and uh, look for a uh, Tutanauer 
there is a one particular uh, uh, unit that will sell uh, for less than $2,000. Uh, and then you can use it for any kind of uh, metal instrument at home or, or utensils at home or any kind of uh, uh, thing that you need. Um, it's very easy to use. You can put, you know, it's a tabletop. Uh, it, it looks like a microwave at the end of the day. You plug it in, add the water, and it's up and running. Um, uh, these units will run for uh, uh, dozens of years without uh, uh, service. So, um, if someone wants to go to the uh, extreme for you know sterilized things at home, it's very easy. Uh, I think on a regular basis, you just need to follow the instructions. As I said before, you know I'm I'm, I'm not here to say wash your hands and wipe things, but I mean just do uh, everything that uh, uh, they tell us to do, and and it should be okay. You know, Michael, one of the things that's important, you want to know how we get our crystal ball and how we know what's happening in the mm -hmm. food world, in the gourmet world. The reality is, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, if you went into a luxury home, somebody would have had a wall-mounted Miele espresso machine or something equally um, luxurious. Right. Uh, the luxury of the future is going to be your family's well-being. And I could see very, very soon, and, and maybe it's already started happening, uh, that families are going to be outfitting their fabulous trophy kitchens and dream kitchens <laughs> and their luxury homes with a sterilization unit for just this kind of thing. I mean, nothing is more important than your family's health. Well, I think, I, I, I think, I think actually, Guy, as we further develop into the food service world and we start getting more and more restaurants – we're going to have to have another conversation with you, sir, because sure. I want to I, th I think we want to know. And even some restaurateurs that already are using the tutin now. Right. We need to know how are they using it? How is it helping? I think that that alone will increase their business. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because to, to know you're coming in and that alone is going to help mm -hmm. the um, it's better than having a shower curtain to the left and the right of you. Right. Um, this way they know that, that you're, and, and it also says a message. It sends a message to your customers as a restaurant owner, right? It's saying not only do we care, but we care enough to spend money and spend time and double our silverware or whatever they need to do to show you that we care. Right. So, so that's a really, that's a feeling you're going to walk in. You're going to feel secure and safe and you're going to come back. It's, it's that simple. Guy, you're an internationalist. You've traveled and done business all over the world. Where in the world do they get it right when it comes to sterilization relative to the food industry? Well, I can tell you that uh, in some uh, areas, um, like uh, if we're talking about dental, for example, Europe is far ahead of the U.S. in, in sterilization. There's really? no person. Wait, wait. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Can, can you tell us how? Well, uh, without going, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll explain you. The, the, uh, without going too deep into sterilization, uh, there are different sterilizers and uh, sterilization techniques. Uh, the most advanced one that is used in the medical field here in the U.S. and elsewhere, it's called Class B. Uh, class B sterilization means that you uh, perform vacuum before the sterilization process starts and drying uh, at the end of the sterilization process. Uh, the reason behind it is that uh, as, as funny and it, as strange as it sounds, steam and air are like water and oil. They will not go together. So if you have a hollow instrument with an air bubble in it, steam will not penetrate it un mm. unless you vacuum it before the sterilization process. So uh, 
in, in Europe, if you take Europe, for example, all the dental practices are, uh, the regulation is for to have a class B, period. That's it, no question asked. Here in the US, we're not there yet. And one of the things that we're thinking that uh, as part of this pandemic in the, in the, uh, de in the dental world will move towards uh, a class B uh, um, uh, regulatory uh, technology. Huh. Fantastic. Michael, I don't know about you, but this is absolutely fascinating. And while I We're, know there's other right. things to do, I honestly could be talking to Guy all evening and afternoon. All right. This is well, we're going to have. I, I'm in contact with Guy. He he's in the magazine. We're doing a lot with him. So we're on a daily basis with his office. So as things progress and as restaurants pick up carrying the units, um, I think we're going to bring Guy on with maybe a restaurant tour again. Let's do that. Because I think it's, it's well, super important. Anything we can do to help everybody. I love the idea of, of this advisory board notion where we're keeping an eye on the best practices yet to be implemented in the U.S. in restaurants so that we're all protected as much as possible, fighting infection everywhere at every turn. And um, I can't say thank you enough. All right. Thank you, thank guys. You all right. Thank you. Thank you. We'll talk. We'll okay. talk soon. Keep stay. We're sure. going to stay on your radar. Stay on ours. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. All right. Thank, thank you so much. Okay. Like how many people do you know that are such germ phobes that they would totally walk around with a sterilized pouch of knife, fork and spoon? I would walk around with a sterilized pouch of tushy wipes. I would. But, hey, listen, I you would. know what else? Here, here, I mean, here's, here's where we're going. So everyone has their own metal straw, the reusable straw, because we're not using disposable straws anymore. But mm -hmm. how about I'm using a disposable straw that I can't sterilize? You can send it through the dishwasher, but it can't really get that much hotter than 212 degrees, right? I don't know. I mean, help me understand how I'm not I'm a Maytag. I'm not a Maytag repairman, but let's. We yeah. have some people, but by the way, we have people backstage that may be able to have restaurants that may be able to talk to us about oh, the I same know. subject. I know. I'm just so excited. And I know you're afraid of Max because of his chicken. I know. I heard that. It's been a rumor in the studio. What? No. I've yeah. been jonesing all day. You don't have no I know. I know. That's what I'm saying. I was literally going to run out and get a chicken sandwich because I just, I was craving. I had a yearning. Yen. I, I had a wanting. Well, but before they what? come on, I just want to show you something. Can yes. I show you something? Okay. I know they're sitting there waiting. Debbie, Max, just hold tight. Put your seatbelts on. We're coming back. Here we go. I just want to show Jennifer one thing. I just had it finished. Let me see if it pops up. Hey, there we go. Fun. Look at that. Look at that. We had Look a fun time that night. That is a handsome, handsome team. I'm is it not? You like that? You know it's funny? No, but do you like that? I do. Thank you. Okay. All right. That's all. Now, can uh -huh. we bring on Max and Debbie? Let's bring on Debbie first. Well, here's You didn't know this. But I know you've got lots of friends in the rock and roll world. Yes. And we both have mutual friends in the food world. Mm -hmm. But did you know that one of my very, very, very first professional experiences as a food person, long mm -hmm. before the James Beard days, long before the Julia Child experiences, all mm -hmm. before any of it. Do you know what one of my first jobs was? What? I was an assistant to the caterer at the Boston Garden, which was a concert <laughs> venue. And the first wow. show I ever did was Queen with Freddie Mercury. No. 
Yes, and sir. Billy's, did, Bill, did Billy's choir open for Queen that night? All I remembered was how lovely Freddie was. And when oh I heard God. that Debbie was coming on and I knew that we had that shared experience, I spent time at the Cape Cod Melody Tent taking care of all the artists. I know Debbie's world and what an honor it is to get to share this time and space with her. Debbie, how are you? Welcome. Good, thank you. How are you guys? We're doing Whoa. well. Doing good. She's international. Debbie's she, international. What's she, happening here? She's uh, from down under, if I'm not mistaken. I'm Australian. I lived in England, and I'm Australian. Years, and I still don't have an accent. What city in Australia are you from? Melbourne. <gasps> oh, Melbourne, Northern. Okay, I see. I have good close friends in. Well, I have good close friends in Sydney. Oh, we're south of Sydney, and you know oh, there's you? some rivalry, but we're better. Melbourne has I understand the best food. That. I saw that. I saw Ooh. that. What so, is Jennifer? When I was young and I was an apprentice at the Cape Cod Melody Tent, one of the acts that came through was Mr. Lou Rawls. He had a very beautiful, deep voice. And he did all the commercials for Budweiser. And so the day before he arrived, the Budweiser truck pulled up and delivered 150 cases of Michelob Light to the concert venue. Just for his personal and of course he shared it with everyone. And it was one of those times where I learned that when you're an artist of international renown, that the venues that you're going to perform in are required to have somebody like Debbie make sure all your needs are met. And it was an eye opener for me. And Let's talk a little bit about that world, Debbie, because you've had an extraordinary career. Um, I started off in the early 80s, actually, or late 70s. I was a journalist in Melbourne, Australia. And then I went to England because I was antsy and didn't want to be a journalist anymore. And just by way of losing a few jobs and gaining a few jobs and then losing... Um, I ended up working for a band called Adam and the Ants. Oh, wow. Mm. They got famous. So, and then, like, a quarter of the way through, um, Kings of the Wild Frontier and Dog Eat Dog, Dog hit the charts, and suddenly I was Debbie Ant because wow. around with Adam and the Ants. I, Were you drinking I and smoking? Do you I'm drink sorry? and smoke? Do you drink and I smoke? I did smoke then. I did I smoke drink. and I did drink. You did drink, you did smoke. What do you do? Yeah. That's funny. I like that. Yeah, I did. Don't anymore. I mean, I drink still, but I don't smoke anymore. Adam, then, I understand, is back on tour. I saw he was in Vegas last year. Yeah, and I saw him. He was going to do a gig here in Chicago, but I was away for that one. Because I would have gone and said hello. We should also say that uh, Debbie's uh, incarnation in this beautiful moment in time and space is, as you might be able to tell, the goddess. And the goddess has remarkable relationships with grocers and bakers and clam diggers and candlestick makers and today with radio hosts and bloggers like us. But right now, she's- Wait, I want to hear more, Jennifer. I want to hear more. Keep going. Adam Ant, let's go. I worked for Adam and the Ants and then he changed managers and I thought it was time to get out and I went to work for the catering company that did his catering and then after a year which was like 1984 on valentine's day i sent everybody a postcard with a chocolate heart wrapped in red foil 
to all the promoters and other people, production managers, saying everybody has a hungry and then you had the heart. And that's how I started. Nice. Wow. And started what? Go ahead. Keep going. It was Keep called going. Eat Your Hearts Out. That was wow. the catering company. And it sort of blossomed really quickly because I'd sort of taken a change in catering. It used to be, you know, girls that wanted to hang backstage and whatever. You know, not, not so much groupies, but, you know, people who want to work that way and um, hang out with bands. But I took it to a really professional level where we had matching plates and knives and forks and tablecloths. And you came in and looked like your mother's dining room for a lot of people. It wasn't like a fancy restaurant or anything what like city? that. What city was it? Was it all? Did you tour with the bands? I went on tour with a band called Hot Chocolate, Average White Band, The Cure, Rod Stewart, U2, and Bon Jovi. Um, and Paul McCartney. Motley Crue. I mean, like hundreds Motley of people. Motley Crue. No, no, we did like for Debbie, six years. did you say Motley Crue? Yeah, I loved Tommy. Oh, Vince, my best friend and my son's godfather. Really? Vince, yes. He may remember Eat Your Hearts Out from the 80s. I'm going to ask him. Wild team. So <laughs> they took me to Russia. I went to Russia for the um, World Music Festival. Mm -hmm. What was it called? Love Peace Festival. But you went. Remember. You you didn't go to Russia on that trip with oh, with Bon Jovi and Motley Crue. I was the caterer with Doc McGee. Yes. Oh my! I heard I heard about that trip. I heard oh, everything. I the heard the behind the scenes festival. Yes, delicious. Yes, I went there. We were in Russia for three weeks, and it actually was on Facebook. Where somebody brought up photos the other day of what we were doing, and it was really funny. I think um, I even have photos of the plane. I think Tommy was even with Heather, Heather Locklear was there too, wasn't she? Yes. Yep. Yep. And I was the one that had all the drinking because you weren't allowed to bring any alcohol in, but I had some for cooking. <laughs> yes. So from there, I went to Monsters of Rock overnight at Castle Donington and then mm -hmm. found out I got the Paul McCartney tour and went on a two year sojourn around the world. And decided to stay in Chicago. Wow. And then what Here happened? I am. And that, so you've been in Chicago. What year did you get to Chicago? 1990. And then what have you been doing? I know Max is waiting, but I want Max, I want you to be educated when we get you on for Debbie. I see him backstage. He's drinking his coffee, he's smiling. But Debbie, this is yeah. very exciting. I like to hear when my young Vince was just a boy, wild boy in the Motley Crue days in the 80s. Um, so what did you do? So then you went. Chicago, you and you did the same thing in Chicago for bands that came yeah, through? I've been, yes, I've been in-house catering here for 30 years. I've also done several tours, like we did Fleetwood Mac, Stevie Nicks, um, Shakira, Electric Light Orchestra, which was Oh, the best. No one's better. That was like, I saw the show four times. And we've done Kelly Clarkson recently. And we were supposed to do all these tours this year, and I had Lollapalooza and um, Lost Dads and Electric Forest. And so, are you at are you at a particular venue, or do you do different venues in Chicago? I do different venues in Chicago. Like I'm in house at the Chicago Theater. Um, I do a lot at Allstate Arena, Wrigley Field, Soldier Field, uh, Riviera, oh, okay. Aragon. 
Well, when Motley finally comes back to Chicago on their world stadium tour, I will be there just to see you, Debbie. I thought Oh, they they went. Yeah, they have a huge store, a tour with Def Leppard and Poison. Oh, that's right. It was supposed to be at Wrigley Field. It was four bands. Yeah, Def Leppard, Motley, Poison, and uh, dare I say, my favorite girl of all time, Joan Jett. Oh, I love Joan Jett. Mm hmm. She was. And I'll tell you. I've I've obviously been you know backstage and 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 had a lot of food back there, and I want to say that uh, there's some great meals that I've had. Believe it or not, Van Halen was one of the best. Van Halen, just like I think it was almost like what you're saying with the tablecloths and the and the like. You're it, it was one of the best. Motley as well. Motley, they whatever the last tour was amazing. We went to the Hollywood Bowl. They had a whole set, section set up. It was yeah. so delicious. Um, always top notch. Um, and it's great. It's funny because the crew, it's mainly the crew that eats. The guys very rarely will be out there doing stuff. Yeah, it depends really. Like on Fleetwood Mac, they came in for dinner every night at five o'clock on the dot, except for Stevie. She had her roast chicken in her room. But everybody was in at five o'clock. You couldn't be a minute late. Otherwise, they were waiting. Debbie, you, we all uh, think of the way rock and rollers and their lifestyle is so decadent. But in fact, Maybe it was Paul McCartney and his wife, Linda McCartney, and their vegetarian um, approach and, and awareness that they brought to the topic that made us feel like there was a moment in time when rock and rollers started eating really mindfully and, and better. Talk a little bit about how the, the rock and roll world eats today and how important health, wellness, nutrition, and, and, and that piece is to the success of a tour. I think in the beginning, we started off with just home-cooked meals like your mother would cook. And then it just got crazy as the tours got bigger and the bands got bigger. And suddenly you were doing all this gourmet food. And now it's, with McCartney's, it was all vegetarian. It wasn't vegan, but it was hard because it was the first time anybody had gone on the road um, with a catering company in the States doing all vegetarian food. And the biggest problem I had was I'd be looking at labels going, oh, what's this? What's this? What's this? Because American food has so many more additives and chemicals and stuff than food in the rest of the world. And I remember going back to Linda one day going, Linda, I don't know what to cook anymore because all this food's got things in it and I don't know what it is. So then we just stuck with we'd make our own tomato sauces and you know, pasta, we buy Italian food and whatever, and I always got organic vegetables. But it was like feeding 300 people breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and people hating on us for being vegetarian. It was like, where's the steak? Where's the real bacon? <laughs> and you have to say, like, turkey, or not turkey bacon, but fake bacon in the beginning looked like brass straps, I always thought. Yeah. I love heavy duty brass straps. Do you um, ever get the chance to go on um, food research dining tours with your clients to get to know their palates? Did you ever get to come to Tucson, Arizona with Linda to get a taste of the Southwest? Um, no. I mean, when we're on tour, we went there, but we just used to chat in the dining room or she used to sneak and taste the food, say, don't let Debbie see me. And we just used to talk about what she liked and what she wanted to do and, you know, just shoot in the sheet, you know. Well, we yeah. uh, here in Tucson, Arizona, where I'm located, we're one of the UNESCO City of Gastronomy Cities. 
Uh-huh. I and, did not know that. And I think that we really are one of the most delicious places in North America. And it would be my great honor to take you on a food tour of the 23 best miles of Mexican food in the country, take you to some of our James Beard Award nominees, take you to places like El Charo, where for almost 100 years, the same family, the Flores family, has been welcoming guests and serving them things like the carne seca that is still traditionally dried in cages on the roof. These are the kinds of things that I would love to introduce you to, to, to connect on the food level uh, as, as a food artist, because I've read so much about what you've done and accomplished. And I have to tell you, I'm fangirling a little bit today with you here. Oh, and, you. And, I'm and, and I'm so happy to meet you. But can we bring Max on? Because I want to tie this all together. And people, there he is. Look at that. There he is. Look at him. Look at him. Handsome. <laughs> if Santa Claus is handsome. Listen, Max has had an extraordinary career. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to our next guest. It's such a privilege and an honor to have Max Sheets. He's the CEO now of Chicken Mac. But in his career, from everything uh, from very fine dining to, to Ted's Montana Grill, he's really been, and in some ways, I hope you take this the right way, he's been like Forrest Gump. He's been at the heart of every moment in time. Like if there's a big moment happening in the food industry, He's in some version of what's been happening. He's had a front row seat to this dynamic food world that we're in, this great industry in the hospitality industry. And so when he gets a sense that something is coming and it's going to be big like Chicken Max, um, it makes us all stand up and pay attention. We know that his crystal ball is spot on. And for that, we are thrilled to be able to welcome him to the show. Max, how are you? Wow. Thanks. Thank you for the kind words. It's it's great to be here. Thanks so much. I I, I love listening to to uh, to this interview. Um, I, I can listen and listen. You know, one of the the whole precepts behind Chicken Max is that I happen to believe that two things in this world bring us together: to laugh and smile and have fun, and that's food and music. Yep. And so, uh, you know, it, you know, it makes us all smile and it brings together in a joyful place. So, I, I love this. I, I think this is just a a great program. Um, you know, again, it, it, it's about being happy in this world, and it's it's tough today. And, and food and music will, will bring us together and put a smile on our face. Food unites us for sure. Max, talk a little bit about your collaboration with Debbie and the way that you two synchronistic, synchronistically see the world and, and taste the world. Oh, they know each other? No. They don't know each other. Virtually, we do now. You do now? No, I want to know about food in music, Max. I mean, food and music. But what about like Alan Jackson? Everything's about chicken and biscuits. Everything. <laughs> Did you ever know? You 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 know, uh, I I I just uh, I got a little tired of listening to streaming music, so I've got some dear friends, Jim and Martha Farrell, who have a little production company, and Jim spent a lot of time in Nashville, and 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 another dear friend brought us all together. And, um, and so I, I just thought, you know, I, I, uh, I want to hear good music. And, and so uh, I got with Jim and Martha and, and we talked about what, uh, what, what I thought made me, uh, you know, shake my boogie and, and tap my foot and, and hum, you know, hum along. And, and so we put together some cool playlists and then I've got another dear friend who was on the radio for 35 mm. years and, uh, in the in the new digital world, unfortunately, her uh, her morning show, which I sponsored 
Why am I not the one that has booze in the room? All I've got is coffee. I see all this is water. Oh, well, Jennifer. Jennifer always (laughs) has booze. booze. I have cranberry juice in my glass. I'm sorry to be the. that's what Dean Martin. That's what Dean Martin said. But you well, know, Max, what, what's <laughs> Max? So what anyway, city are you in? What city is Max in, Jen? Do you know? I'm in Wichita. Oh, okay. he's, he's in, in the Mexico. middle of the heartland. You know, home of Pizza Hut, which I think we're all related to in some way, and 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 Lone Star Steakhouse and Saloon, mm. and Fox and Hound, and, and and all those things. And then I was had the great fortune of working for George Macero. Uh, at Ted's Montana Grill, which kind of brought all my Lone Star together with all of his Longhorn, and and uh, then we did Ted's together and opened a whole bunch of stores. And uh, I've again, I've I've just been very fortunate to uh, to kind of be in the eye of the hurricane on on some real fast growth companies. But uh, you know, Max, I, the- I don't know if you remember it, but I, I could be mistaken about this, and it could be the day for it. But um. Uh, I believe uh, George and I met at um, the Aspen Food and Wine Classic. That would absolutely be right. I'm sure of that. Um, the reason I was trying to um, wrap up uh, a notion around our conversation today is because I believe, as as does Debbie, that food and music, and Max says as well as, as you, that food and music are the arts that most closely align on several different levels. And in particular, I find that I often use musical terminology and understanding to describe food and flavor to people. And they just lend themselves musically. But, and if you, if you know and love music, you can, you can really find ways of describing food and flavor in tone and melody and what I generally find is that if I describe flavor chords when tasting something really irresistible, people that love music can totally get that. And, and Max, I know you get that. And so that's, why I, that's where I was trying to um, perhaps clumsily to get, day get to because I know that's something we four share, that love of food and music. Food, flavor, and fragrance. Yep. <laughs> it's a good saying, actually. Lots of fragrance. Food, flavor, right. and fragrance. So, I love you know, it. Michael, I don't know if you knew this, but but Max has these. Um, he's he's a curator. He's mm-hmm. a curator of flavors and he's a curator of music. Oh. Very much the same way that Debbie is, with just slightly different manifestations. Will you guys talk about what it means to be an impresario of food and flavor and music? About a curating experience where you use your connoisseurship in both realms of food and music? Debbie, I'll let you go first. I'm not sure. No, I think Max should go first on that one. Okay. Uh, I'm glad to go first. You know, you know, I, I love that. I, I love the way you frame that. And, and it's all about, um, you know, walking through the restaurant and seeing people enjoying the food, enjoying the flavors. And, and then, what tops it off for me is looking at them and they're, they're singing along or they're tapping their feet and they're smiling, you know, and, and feeling good because it's, it's great food, you know, and, and great flavors and great music. And, and it makes people feel good. And what, 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 what better thing to be able to bring to someone's life? You know, I mean, if, if you've got 50 people in your store 
and those 50 people have got 10 problems, all of a sudden there's there's 500 problems in there that they're all going to walk out and they're dealing with. But if that if for, for 20 or 30 or 45 minutes, they can sit down and take their mind off of that and listen to the music and have some great food. Man, that's we've done our job, right? I mean, uh, that's something yep. that, that people want to come back for. I mean, that's why we go to concerts. That's why we go out to eat. And if we can put it all together in a package, um, you know, let, let's let's bring the world along. Let's do do some good. You know, um, Debbie, Max, one of my all time favorite words that describes part of what I love most about this business is conviviality. Absolutely. We can have great food to our door, but it's not the same as going out. There's something about the experience of living our our lives and our moments in public spaces with people with whom we are breaking bread and sharing the experience of, of listening to a, our favorite music. Um, oh, there it is. Oh, wow. Well, it looks like a loaded Bama to me and some uh, some Southern beans. Woo! Woo. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm craving that. Somebody say loaded Bama and Southern beans. That's I see so conviviality, good. too. So let's give these guys a chance to talk a little bit about conviviality in their world. And that particular sandwich, Max, what is that sandwich we just saw? That's a fried chicken breast with our uh, jalapeno lime uh, coleslaw on it and a little uh, white barbecue sauce with some horseradish in it. That looks How's delicious. that? <laughs> I wish I had pictures of Debbie. Debbie, I don't have any pictures of you to show. Oh, I don't have any here either. Oh, I have well, that's work. okay. But, you know, we'll we're in lockdown here. Um, I think our dining rooms are actually very quiet because the bands and the crews, they listen to music all day and they're about to go on stage. So we have to keep it very low key. But I think being on a tour with um, a group of people for so long, like with Paul and Linda McCartney, we were out for a year and a half, nearly two years. It's just the feedback you get every time when somebody says, oh, I love that meal or can you make that soup again? Or can we do this? What do you reckon? And you get a lot of feedback and people are excited to come into the dining room at whatever time. And I think that's the best thing about being in the music business. But also you might not see somebody for like 10 years and then suddenly you're at a show and you're just catering away and somebody comes up and goes, didn't I do the Rolling Stones with you in 1994? And I go, oh, yeah, I remember you. And then he goes, yes, your nickname was, I think my nickname was Petunia or something, and this guy was a little buddy. And it was just never expected to see him again. And it was so exciting. It happens all the time now. And also Facebook has linked us, a lot of us. And, and Debbie, one of the other things that's extraordinary is the James Beard Foundation has been coming to Chicago, bringing the James Beard Awards to Chicago the last several years. And I think part of the reason they did that is because Chicago is such a remarkable food city. And I know that as uh, your story was conveyed to me, you talked about getting there and just really liking it and really liking the people. Talk a little bit about your food Chicago right now. What's happening in this pandemic? Can you can you describe what's going on around you? Yeah, well, we were lucky that we could stay open because I have the goddess and grocer. So I sell groceries and um, it was easy to close our dining rooms. But now 
since the PPP came out, everybody's getting into um, doing deliveries or meals to pick up because they can't spend their funds otherwise, so they don't get forgiveness. But I think people are really excited, like Brad Ackett's from Alinea is doing a dinner for $35. Which is extraordinary. I'm a I'm a big fan of Grant's um, and and leave it to him to find the innovation in this challenge. And um, Stephanie Isard has groceries. Yeah. And so there's a whole lot of you look every night, and there's more and more restaurants who are doing um, meals to pick up or deliver. And so you can have these meals like four of you can eat for seventy dollars, and you just buy a bottle of wine from wherever, and that's a really cheap way. Um, to support the restaurants and their staff and also have a great meal for really, really cheap. Max, would you be good enough to do the same and take us to the heart of the Midwest and uh, talk a little bit about, about how pandemic has hit where you are and impacted your industry and how you're dealing with it and how your city's dealing with it? You know, uh, our industry will never be the same. Uh, Jennifer, it, it's going to be changed forever. I think you're right. Uh, um, and and I don't know how everyone's going to come through uh, the other to, to see the other side of this. I mean, we're already seeing you know a number of of, of really good concepts that that have said they're not coming back. Um, we are fortunate to be you know two of our three stores have drive-throughs. Again, this is a new concept, so we were tweaking and tuning and learning. Uh, for the last two years. Um, but, you know, we've been locked down in, in Wichita and, and and we've had the stay at home orders. Our governor was was uh, in Kansas, was early to uh, close all the schools and say school is over. And, uh, you know, aside from the meat packing plants, which are there are a, a number in Kansas, um, and, and aside from the prisons, uh, we've really seen uh, the number of cases in Wichita particularly flatten. And, and we've been blessed and fortunate with that. That's um, good news. It is good news. And, and, and though we are still rising as a state, uh, in Wichita particularly, we are not uh, so much. And, and that's great news. Um, and again, in, in the state overall, the only reason we're rising is because of we have these, these Petri dishes where people have worked on top of each other, you know, the nursing homes, the packing plants, um, the prison system. I mean, it's horrible. This is a a highly, highly contagious coronavirus. It's not the flu. It's it's many more times contagious than the flu, and in the right in the right demography, it it, it is it is it is a death sentence. It's horrible. Um, uh, Max Sheets is the uh, founder of uh, Chicken Max. He joins us today uh, from his headquarters uh, in in Wichita and. And uh, Max, you were going to share where people can, is there a place where people can go and hear these curated soundtracks that have Uh, been crafted for this moment in time? Well, they're part of our concept and and it plays continuously in our stores. Um, But, you know, we're trying to do the same for our community and, and we are, uh, uh, we, we've done a $2 meal box. Oh, wow. Because we've got a smoker in our restaurant, we uh, we and we smoke with almond wood. It's pretty cool and, and a wonderful flavor. So uh, we have two almond wood smoked drumsticks and a side of either white beans or southern greens and a, a piece of Texas toast uh, for two dollars. 
And so for less than a soft drink, uh, we can we can have people come in and have a nice, nutritious meal. Are uh, people we, paying it forward in your restaurants for other people like this? Uh... I'm so glad you asked. Absolutely. We'll have people come in and pick up four to take to others who are in need. Um, every Wednesday, uh, we fed 52 people at the Econo Inn through the Mennonite Brethren Church who are trying to get back on their feet. Uh, in partnership with, uh, with one of our other purveyors, uh, we've given away over $5,000 in, in what we have our own little, little monetary system called Cluck Bucks. And so we, <laughs> we, we've distributed over $5,000 in Cluck Bucks to people who can come in and, and use that as money off towards their meal. Um, so, you know, we're trying to give back. Uh, we, we, we've given, you know, to, to North, Northridge Academy to Ashley's House of Learning, to the Fire Department Number 9 Station, to the Catholic Care Center, the Kansas Regional Hospital, the Wichita Children's Hospital, the Ronald McDonald House. So, you know, we are trying to give back all we can and do the right thing in, in this horrible pandemic. Uh, because, you know, one of, the, one of the tenets of our company is doing what's right is never wrong. And so we're trying to do what's right. And, and we're all in this together. And we're all going to get through it together. Um, and, and on the other side, I, I'm hoping that uh, that people recognize that uh, when Chicken Max comes to the community, uh, they, they they you know we're we're a place you want to be, and uh, we've got great food and and great music, and and uh, we're trying to do the right things uh, so that we all get through this together. I'm going to ask uh, this question, and Debbie, you can you can add your your thoughts on this. How did the chicken sandwich? And I'm going to use a qualifier. How did the irresistible chicken sandwich become the food of the moment? I don't know. I mean, here it was like such a celebration when Popeyes did they did theirs, but there was also already these really good restaurants that were doing it, like Roost, and I'm trying to think of their names now. And there was a whole lot of them, and I think it came from somewhere down south like Nashville or they were talking about it and suddenly that's the latest thing, chicken and waffles or fried chicken sandwiches. And that's uh, what we've been doing. And and you do it for your guests and your customers. Do you do a spin on it somehow that makes it a, a goddess and grocer version of a hot chicken sandwich? Well, we do it chicken palm, which is a hot Italian chicken sandwich. And then we do a schnitzel, which is mm. like a German chicken sandwich. And oh, we know schnitzel. We know <laughs> schnitzel. <laughs> Wolfgang Puck once made me schnitzel. That's all oh. I said. So um, we do it that way rather than doing like a hot or hot honey, honey yeah, fried Hot honey. Thing. Max, do you guys use hot honey down there? We do. We, we have some hot honey that we put on some of our sandwiches. We've got our own Nashville take on on Nashville hot chicken uh, that we do as a sandwich, we make our own Nashville hot sauce that we 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 paste on the, the stuff, and um, uh, we also have a, a really cool chicken and waffle sandwich where we have a a waffle bun that is uh, infused with pearl sugar, so that when you heat it up and run it through the toaster, that pearl sugar boom it 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 infuses and and it's and it and then you put that chicken breast on there with a little hot sauce and. Are you telling me you brulee a chicken sandwich? <laughs> yes. With, with, with a couple pieces of bacon and some jack cheese 
and a little hot oh. sauce. So. Oh, yum. We're coming. We're coming. <laughs> yeah. How many locations? It's only like six hours from Chicago, isn't it? It's very close. It's, it's closer than that. Just jump on a plane. You'll be here in an hour. We'll pick you up and take you out to eat. She's right, used to ride. Right. She's used. Debbie's used to ride on tour buses. She's fine. I like tour Max. Buses, yeah. Right. How many locations do you have, Max? How many locations are there operating right three. now? We have three in Wichita. All right, and you're we're growing. Hoping, we're hoping to grow. We, you know, this has kind of put the brakes on a lot of things, but uh, again, we we we're we're ready to go. We we have been. We've spent a little over two years tweaking and tuning and getting it right, making sure that we're spot on with food cost and and uh, labor and all those things. So we've got the model perfected and, and we're, we're ready to, to, to rock and roll. Michael, you know, you know what we need to send to Max? What, my, what, my book? Is that what you're talking about? Are you bringing it up now? I am. Max, by the way, I don't know, Max, I'd be afraid to send it to Max. Max, I got a new book coming out July 1st. I, I'd want a signed copy, please. Food and Beverage Magazine's Guide to Restaurant Success. I, I need and to see that. <laughs> I, I know. I want you to pick it apart, Max. I want you I'm going to say okay. Max is too much experience. But I will tell you, I had, uh, we did a lot of research. I had some, I, Debbie, I had actually Shep Gordon. Do you know Shep from the Alice Cooper Aerosmith guys? I do. He's the manager. Yes. Shep actually did an endorsement on the back of my book. Because he was, he created um, uh, Emerald and all, a lot of famous chefs. That was Chef's deal. Um Jennifer wrote on the back. David Burke wrote on the back. I'm sure Max, you know David. Have you been, are you familiar with David's work? Oh yeah, absolutely. He's one of the most creative chefs, and I'm sure you guys have crossed paths many, many times. Yeah. Absolutely. But it was exciting. It's exciting because guys want to get to where both of you are, right? Like, I'm sure there's chefs out there. I know a bunch of them that are dreaming to do what Debbie's done, yeah. not even realizing the amount of. I mean, I know because I've been, I've seen it. The amount of work you've got to like set up kitchens and break down kitchens every day of your life. It's horrendous, literally. Set up a kitchen and break down a kitchen. And a dining and then, room. And, and dining rooms. I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. Well, the dressing rooms. It's like it's like hosting a wedding every day. Yeah. And stocking the buses. Yeah. I mean, I can't. Doing the driver meals. There's, people don't realize. They all think, oh, yeah, I'd love to be a rock and roll caterer. Hey, mm. do you know you have to be in at four o'clock in the morning and you may get to bed at midnight, but we're not sure. <laughs> it's but, horrible. You know, I mean, we've had three shows on this day, so where are you going to go? So you have to go there, you have to go here, then you've got to cross over and do this. But people want to get there, Debbie. They want to do that, these kids. And that's where they want to be where Max is at. They want to be where they've built all these great concepts, and then they want to do another one. And then he, Max doesn't need to do this. Then he wants to do it again. Because there's some restaurantorial entrepreneurial craziness inside because of Max's head. That's who we are, Michael. It's This is who we are. That's right. And that's what, what we explain. We're doing to get rich. We're doing it because we have to, because this is our art. I mean, imagine exactly if Debbie, right. it's a shame what's happening now because Debbie, you could do a restaurant that would be like, you know, Gene and Paul from Kiss have a rock and bruise concept, right? Yeah. I don't know if you've seen that, Debbie. And they've learned a lot from people like you. Believe that. I've talked to both of them extensively. I've talked to Paul extensively about the food, right? Gene's all about the promotion or whatever. Um, but a lot of it's from what they've tasted while they were on tour, who they had as caterers, where they went out, and that's where they developed this menu from. Mm -hmm. It's pretty interesting. I mean, it's an interesting. It's interesting. And then guys like Max, your same guys when they're out on tour want to go eat at Max's restaurants. I Except think they were getting. Steak. Oh, that's great. That they've heard of you and they want to go. Yeah, that's a great. I mean, it's fun. 
when they have time. I mean, it's super fun if they have like an extra night over or something like that. Um, absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's a fun. I mean, I've been out on on with Meatloaf and Motley and Aerosmith and it's Kiss. It's it and Van Halen. It's been very different every experience, right? Um, but what I have noticed, Debbie, is that guys like Meatloaf and guys, even Steven Tyler, Steven and and Joey Kramer, my friend Joey and Vince. They like fine food. Alice Cooper, they like fine food, yeah. right? They like the like best restaurants. Food? Who doesn't like good food? Well, you would think the rockers, like my friend Scott Ian from Anthrax, heavy, heavy metal band, Meatloaf's bro- a son-in-law. And Scott knows, he's friends with Joe Bastianich. So anytime we go to a restaurant, he knows the chefs, he knows what he's going to order. It's all top of the line. And you wouldn't think some of these hard metal bands, that's how they eat. It's very, it was very eye-opening to me. Very eye-opening and, and, and fun. Can I what tell you, this the first show that we've done. Alice likes big hot dogs. felt insufficient to not be dining together. This is a show that deserves to be a meal. And I want to make sure that at some point in our future, we will do just that, breaking bread around our table. But in the meantime, and until that time, I'm going to raise my glass and share the toast that Julia Child gave me when we were at the opening of Copia, the American Museum of Wine, Food, and Art, Napa. The name of the restaurant that was opening that day at the museum was called Julia's Kitchen. When I asked her what the toast she shared with her husband, Paul, when guests would come to their home, she clinked her glass to mine and she said, Le carillon de l'amitié, the bells of friendship. So may we hear the bells of friendship as our glasses clink together. And we welcome you and thank you for sharing this time with us today. Oh, thank loved. you. That toast thank is you. yours. Please take it in the spirit of Julia Child and her love of conviviality and share it with your friends, old and new, as you clink glasses to keep the convivial spirit of Julia alive. And in the spirit of this show, I want to say thank you to you both. Thank Thank you you both for coming on. Thank Thank you. What a wonderful group. You, my God, are so fluent. Thank goodness you're as fluent in rock and roll as you are. These are the the rock and roll... this was like the rock and roll show. I didn't know. I mean, and then to have Max on top of that, Max kind of a rock star. Makes me he nervous to be around the guy. Star. I mean, he's a little bit of a rock star. Look at him. A little Wait, bit? Are you, Are you Look at him. There he is again. I can't stop looking at the guy. Max, you're a rock star. He's a total rock star. What is so fun about this in the rock star part of it is uh, everything you talked about, all the bands, all the performers, all the entertainers, you, you, you know, I go back to... Leon Russell, you know, uh-huh. you know Joe Cocker, and and I, I earlier I wasn't on that, but I was listening. Is is uh, I just saw Joan Jett in a little bitty venue called the Stiefel Theater up in Salina, mm. Kansas. It was she uh, a, a local lady who was named Jenny Wood. Please Google her. She was in a horrible car accident. Her mother and niece were both killed. Oh my uh, God! By, okay, by Max, this is an uplifting show, Max. What wait, are you wait, doing? Wait, 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 are we trying to raise money for them? Wait, we've helped we've helped a bunch, but she opened for Joan Jett, who just you know put on a great show. Uh, you, you know, it brings us all together. Yeah. Uh, you know, we talk about food. I mean, you guys have all watched the Festival Express. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they said the best part of the Festival Express was the dining cars yeah. when, when all the rock and rollers got on, and you've got that great picture of Rick Danko from the band sitting next to Janis Joplin with Jerry Garcia playing the guitar and all singing together. I mean, yep. how cool, how cool 
to have this moment in time and to, and to share that. I mean, I, I, you know, who knew this would all come together like this? I, I'm sitting here with goosebumps, you know, talking about the two things I love the most, you know, food, music, uh, bringing people together. I mean, what a great job you guys did to make this all happen. And, it, and in this moment of, of uncertainty, you know, you, you brought a lot of hope. And, oh, uh, Max, stop, Max. But that's Jeez. what we need today. That's what Thank we you. need today. Well, that's what we want. We, we know that we have, a, you know, we have 12 million readers a month of Food and Beverage magazine, right? And I'm seeing all kinds of stuff come, come through my desk, right? All kinds of stuff. But I look at what my competitors do, and my competitors are out there marketing, trying to make webinars and this and that. But it's always with, the, with trying to get money from somebody to do. And you know what? That's not what this is about. That'll happen, right, Max? You know, if you That's do it right. This industry is focused on at this moment. This industry is focused. Max, do you have restaurants in uh, Wichita that are feeding the sort of displaced and out-of-work hospitality industry workers as well as first responders? We do. We do. Uh, there are there are a number of restaurants in, in town that are doing that. Uh, and, and we did the same. Uh, for, I think, two weeks, we offered the... The same thing. If you came in, we just gave you a free meal if you were in the restaurant or hospitality See, industry. And that's and that's important because what I'm seeing on press releases coming to me to run is how they gave first responders food, how they gave sanitation, sanit, uh, this stuff, you know, sanitation, sanit, whatever this. Sanitation. Sanit well, no, that's sanitation. Sanitizer, right? <laughs> made, right. Made, out of, made out of, I'm so annoyed by this, you can tell you guys. <laughs> How they're making sanitizer out of vodka, whatever it is, right? Exactly. But, but they're exactly. giving it, they're giving it to places that can buy it or people that need don't don't necessarily have any other means to get it. And like the palm restaurant, you know, if you buy two, if you buy two uh, lobster rolls, they'll give one to a um to a first responder. Well, I love the fact, thank you, first responders. Don't get this the wrong way, honestly, Max, but there are other people that need it more because they're right. eating. They're eating, That's right? And it doesn't have to be a lobster roll. If I buy two lobster rolls, give three hamburgers to someone that needs it, right? You know, first responders don't need lobster rolls sent to the hospital for them. They, they have food. They have, they're not paying for it right now. People are, so let's help the people in need. I keep seeing this commercial, you know, they say wash your hands. And, but if you don't have a sink to wash your hands in, and if you don't have soap to use for 20 seconds and, you know, there's these kids and there's these homeless people and, and, and the kids who are not getting meals from school because they're not in school, and the but, kids get the only meals they get during the day. Right, but All let right. me give you. Let me just tell you one thing, Jen. When they don't have classes or even remote school, where the buses, like in our town, going around and delivering food on the weekends, they don't have a meal. No, and it's brilliant. And, and, and that that little small act of kindness, right, for a young kid, that little small act of kindness will change the trajectory of their life. Right. My best friend, who's the greatest boxer that has ever lived, Mike Tyson. Right. Mike was a kid and we all know his whole story. He was at he was somewhere locked up when he was a child right, for doing something he shouldn't have been doing. Well, Muhammad Ali walked in and he looked at him and Muhammad Ali somehow hit his head or talked to him or whatever it was. But whatever that little act of kindness that did. Right. Turned him into who he is now. Now, he's had his ups and downs and he's done his bad and good. But he's made an, an impact and influence on a lot of people's lives. And that's what we have the ability to do now. And it's not about dropping off hand sanitizer at Southern Wine and Spirits for the team to use. No, it's about dropping off hand sanitizer at Catholic Charities, at, you know, wherever it is, right, that they that's need right. it. Right. And that's what I'd like, Jennifer, I know you hate it that I'm having this discussion right now, 
because you love me to be politically correct. And I know it's not politically correct, but I would rather see that. I mean, I see images of the homeless shelters and the homeless uh, tent cities and all that. Is it going to kill someone to drop them off there? Right? No. Look, drop the drop the boxes off. Drop yeah. 50, and, and Max, you do this. You know what I'm talking about. That's right. It's, it's, it's not a war zone. People need I to deliver, eat. I deliver food to anybody I can find as often as I can. It's just what we do. That's who we are. And, you know, and, and all of the people in our restaurants that are preparing those boxes, distributing those boxes, how good it makes them feel because yeah. they're able right. to help others. And it is. It's about paying it forward. And it makes it makes the people that work for us feel good. I mean, it, that's what it's all about. Is and, it, and it's going to take us all to get through this together, not being divisive, but working together until we you know, we're not going to come out of the other side of this thing for a long time. Right. Um, I, I'm afraid you're right, Max. What's called a vaccine. Until we have a vaccine, there's going to be these stages of what new normal is. And and it's going to be small steps, but we've just got to be nimble and we've got to be forward thinking and, and we've got to help others every chance we get because there are so many less fortunate. And, and Max, yeah. Max just described the Olympic um Olympic team, nimble Olympic gymnastics team, nimble and fourth, fourth, right? I mean, Max, right? Yeah, that's it's right. It's true. You've that's got right. to be nimble and you've got, but that's the whole point. You've got to be, you've got to pivot. You've got to move. That's and it. as a restaurant owner, one of the things that I wrote about it, it's, it's how I've done my life is life is a Creek, right? And you, when you're in a Creek and you're in the water flowing in the Creek, you hit a, you hit a, a, a rock or pebble, whatever it is, you move in another direction, but you keep moving. Right. So, so we, it's, we, well, use the word fluid. That's so 2020, Jen. Max and I say Creek, we're Southern boys. Okay. But the point is you've got to keep moving. Right. And don't, don't puddle up because if you don't move, that water is just going to puddle up and that's the end of it. Right. There's, there's hope. And a lot of these restaurants, Max, you've been through a lot of restaurants and a lot of experiences and it always gets better. No matter how bad we know this, and no matter how bad the service or the food or the, whatever it was, or this situation we're in right now, it will get better. And restaurateurs need to know that it's going to get better. You know, there, I, there's, I there's, hope. A great, there's a great song out there. It's got to get better in a little while, right? Right. It's true. Listen, listen to Max. I think we should have Max on with some of our summer. Max, are you a country fan or a rock fan? What are you? I'm a rock and roll guy. All right. Well, let me let me see if I can get somebody big on the show and we'll bring Max back. Get, get, get Derek Trucks and Susan Tedeschi. Oh, yes. Yeah. I was thinking more like um, Miss American Pie. <laughs> sure. An easy ask, Max. You know what I'm saying? Can we go with an easier ask? <laughs> I'm all this in. This is super I'm fun, in. Max. Promise right. you'll come back. Thank you, Max. I, I, listen, you guys have been wonderful. I can't thank you enough for the message that we're, we're sending together. And um, let, let's just keep doing and, you know, doing what's right is never wrong. And let's yep. keep spreading that message. All right. Thanks again, Doing Max. What's right is never wrong. And what I'll say is, please, when you get home tonight, hug your kids and count your blessings. And Jennifer, that winds up another one of our fabulous shows. 